Well, I don't know how many of you would like to go into public speaking and anything you do in the future, but I'll give you one piece of advice. If you can possibly arrange it, never, ever speak after the most powerful voice in America. <laughs> I, I'm a little starstruck here, too. I'm seeing people that I've never seen before except on television. I do find I have one connection with the last speaker, although he isn't aware of it. Um, I raise mastiffs. I've had dogs um, all my life. And when I got my most recent mastiff from a kennel in the middle of California, the proud owner told me that this puppy's father was the co-star in the movie The Sandlot that James Earl Jones just talked about. <laughs> the, um, the software industry uh, is a fascinating industry, and I think that in many respects, the story I'm going to tell you is not that different from the one that Nathan told you earlier. I'm wondering if maybe it's endemic in an industry as young as the one that, that I am in, in that many of the pioneers seem to have gotten there by accident, uh, most of them somewhat against their will. There's a sense of bewilderment among my colleagues that uh, I think will probably come through here. Uh, there are people here whose careers probably were plotted out from the time they were nine years old. Uh, I can't say the same. And in fact, uh, I was talking to one, uh, one young man last night about what he wanted to do. Uh, and he said, well, you know, I love archaeology. I like history. Science is pretty good. I really like English a lot. And foreign languages fascinate me utterly. Um, there are just so many possibilities. And in fact, that's one of, the, one of the things that I suspect many of you feel with a, a sense of alarm, that uh, it's hard to narrow down. It's hard to be what many of the people here uh, have been without focusing on one thing or another. But if, it's, if it is any reassurance to you, I think that many of us went through the same thing. And there's also a sense of loss. Uh, whatever you may accomplish in the career that you chose, there's a lot of paths not trodden. Uh, I, too, wish sometimes that I'd been an archaeologist or that I had become a historian or an academic of one sort or another. And, and so it's, it's a mixed blessing uh, as you go forward. I was a social psychology major in college, um, decided that wasn't it, so I went on to grad school in international economics at Johns Hopkins. That didn't seem to do it either, so I went back to uh, Harvard to law school and, in fact, carried that through and... and practice law for a number of years. But um, none of these seem directly tied to a career in the software industry. And in fact, I can't rationally make any argument for taking that path to get where I got. What, what happens is that uh, if you're like me, you're a person of great curiosity and a lot of enthusiasms. Um, I almost never saw an idea or an area that I, w that I didn't like. Uh, and so I developed my interest in a lot of completely unrelated areas. Um, I started working on computers when I was in high school in the early 30s. Um, but it was just a hobby. It was just something to do, like building houses or learning foreign languages. I took some time off in the middle of college to go and teach in Africa and wander around in Africa for a while. Um, there, there are no s connecting strands here. What what happened that eventually led to this particular company was that uh, I had a brother and a sister who were feeling pretty footloose at the time. We needed to pay the rent. We thought, hey, if we wrote some software and sold it, we could get free software in return. Uh, 
We went to the first computer show, West Coast Computer Fair, in 1980 um, that we had been to. It wasn't the first West Coast Computer Fair. We looked around at an enormous room in San Francisco full of booths and thought, oh, my God, we're far too late. We've missed the computer revolution. Look at all these well-established businesses. Um, I suspect that most of you feel that way about almost anything you want to go into. And all I can say is it's, it's not necessarily true. Things are changing all the time, and that's not just in, in computers. We, um, we sat there with our little 6x6 booth and 700 copies of a couple of computer games I had written, plus a whole box full of tax programs that nobody ever asked to see. And we waited about three hours before the first person came by our booth, took one look at what we're doing, nodded, and kind of went on to the next booth. Uh, 700 cassettes that were, uh, we didn't have floppy disks back then, that uh, sat there on the table unsold. I think by the end of the three days, we did sell enough to cover the cost of the booth, but it wasn't a very auspicious start. What, uh, what I think turned it around for us was a sense of, of personal whimsy. We like to travel around the country, and I turned to my brother one day and said, what if I just took a bunch of these programs, stuck them in the trunk of the car, and started driving? We agreed that since nobody was calling, that that was probably the only way we were going to ever find customers. <laughs> and I headed off, I think originally, this was from Eugene, Oregon, I think I came to Boise, and then down to Salt Lake City. And in 1980, the computer industry was still more of a club than anything else. Most of the people that ran local computer stores were not themselves businessmen. They were just hobbyists who had gotten swept away by, by their hobby. And uh, when I walked in and started putting things on their computers, they were delighted because up till then they typically had nothing on them at all. And it's very hard to sell a computer if you have no applications whatsoever to show people with them. You try to explain to people they can program them themselves, and that's a turnoff for a lot of people. So we'd walk into the room, we'd put uh, something up on every machine, uh, usually the owner was in the back fiddling around with a soldering iron trying to get something to work. So I'd make a noise after I had something up on every machine. They'd come running out, convince somebody was stealing all of their hardware, and they'd stare in awe at all the machines with various games running on each one. Um, from those early days, uh, what happened was an industry that grew with enormous swiftness. Uh, it was, as I said, it was more of a club than a competition. I knew all of the people in the software industry as they came and went over the years. We partied together. We went rafting together. We got together and talked about how miraculous it was that we could do something that really fascinated us uh, and actually get paid for it at the same time. And I think that that's the, the message that I want to leave with you, which is that essentially what you want to do is something that you are inherently fascinated in. Um, if you're fortunate, uh, that in itself will be its own reward. It may turn into a successful business or a successful academic career, or it may not. But essentially, if you're, if you're following your curiosity and you're keeping that alive, you're going to be pleased with your own life no matter what. Um, the software industry is a fascinating industry. Um, I enjoy publishing. We've been fortunate to publish some of the best consumer author, authors uh, in the country, but it was really the interest in the programs itself that got us there in the first place, not a desire to get rich, not a desire to, to um, become a captain of industry of any sort. Again, there may be people who had a more direct plan or a more direct route than that, but uh, that was not our case. 
My brother was a girls' basketball coach in Stockholm, Sweden. My sister was a buyer for Lord & Taylor in New York City, and I was an ex-lawyer out of Chicago. So with that kind of background, I think that the, the closing thought is, I think anybody can do anything as long as it's something that they really want to do and they have enough interest. Thank you. Hi, I'm Douglas Glazer from Boisvelt, New York. Now, I was wondering, since the Internet has taken hold as this, uh, I guess, the next revolution in computers, I was wondering whether you see if there's a future for border-bound in uh, creating educational software or other software that takes advantage, I guess, of the interactivity of the Internet or being able to update the information. One of the terrible crosses that I've had to bear for years is that nobody knows how to say the name of my company um, or why we named it that in the first place. I always say Bruderbund, but I assume you were talking about about Bruderbund. Bruderbund, I'm sorry. That's okay. The, um, <laughs> you would have been the first to get it right if you had. The, uh, the Internet is a terrific opportunity, and I think it's not just for companies like Bruderbund, but for anybody that wants uh, to make their own mark, uh, not just in software. It's, it's, right now, it's a highway into a mass market for anybody. If you're a children's book author, for example, and you can't figure out how to get published, you could always put your book up on the Internet. And uh, I know a number of people, in fact, who are doing exactly that. If you have something to say and you're trying to reach an audience, right now is probably the best time in the history of man for reaching a mass audience with whatever you have to say. If you, if you build a matter mousetrap, people will beat a path to your door, and it's probably easier uh, to do that right now than any other time. Yes. Hi, my name is Nick Nash. I'm from Connecticut. I'm also interested in becoming an entrepreneur in the computer industry. Successes are great, but sometimes along the way, products or ideas don't work out. How have you dealt with failures along the way? You know, the concept of failure affects different people in different ways. Um, I, I think that the best entrepreneurs simply don't recognize failure. They're either a little too dumb or the congenital optimists, um, or they, they learn what they can from them but just move forward. Um, I've had a lot of businesses that failed. Before, before I, I uh, started Broderbund, I wrote five books, none of which sold more than 2,000 copies. That's a lot of work for very little reward. I built a lot of houses and lost money on every one. I started a travel company that uh, never successfully made a profit. Um, you learn a lot from these things. I, I don't think uh, if you take the failures too personally that uh, entrepreneurship is the right path for you because entrepreneurship is rife with failure. Bruderbund happens to have succeeded uh, terrifically well, uh, but I think that's in part because uh, failure just is not something that we've recognized or uh, uh, felt that uh, would stand as an impediment in our way. Cool. Thanks. Uh, hi, I'm Rebecca Ryder. I'm from Palo Alto, California. And um, there seems to be a trend right now in education that I'm seeing, which is where um, when there isn't enough money for schools, one of the things people are asking for more and more is we need more computers for our kids, more software, more Internet access. And there seems to be kind of a shift sometimes in teaching techniques to putting kids in front of computers um, and letting them experiment. And I was wondering... Um, what you think the role of software and computers in education should be? 
It's a complicated question, Rebecca, but if the, if the basic question is should money be shifted from traditional teaching uh, techniques to computers, I'd have to say I don't think right now that's a very wise idea. Uh, computers are not universally accept, uh, accessible. It tends to accentuate the disparity between the rich and the poor in this country. Computers are natural teaching machines. If, if every kid did have access at home to a computer and good software, it really could help the teaching process uh, and the learning process enormously. But if you're dealing with current realities, with limited budgets and school systems that are strapped in many respects, uh, I honestly have to say I don't think that that's the best way to spend money right now. We need to spend more money on teachers. They're still the core of every curriculum, and the best teachers make the best students. Thank you.